You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Israel around the tabernacle. We're going to look at that. So take your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Exodus chapter 36. I told you that Exodus chapter 25 through 31 is the blueprint. Uh, Chapters 35 through 40 is the actual construction. And we're going to get to that. But let me take a moment and I'm going to pray. Uh, it just seems that in the summertime, there's a lot of people that get sick and accidents and people go to the hospital, a lot of uh, people that uh, pass away. We've had so many in our fellowship in the last weeks uh, that uh, have been in the hospital. number have now passed away. Uh, Mr. Doug Surratt, I saw him last Sunday morning sitting right over there, spoke to him, passed away Friday night in his sleep. Have you ever stopped to think this may be your last Sunday in church? Uh, It was for him last Sunday. Um, uh, Dr. Blackburn's mother passed away. I'm going through now and I'm trying to think of all of those that we need. Dennis Blankenship is in the hospital. He's going to have to have surgery. His daughter, Hannah, we need to keep her. She's a special needs child. We need to keep her in our prayers. They're doing palliative care for her in these days. And then her granddaddy, um, Jerry Stapp, We need to keep Jerry in our prayer as well. I don't see any of the family over here, but uh, keep that family in your prayer. They're having to go through so much right now. And then there's so many others, Miss Susan uh, Jovanovich and so many others that you know of. I just have to take a moment, share those with you, and let's pray for those of our fellowship that's uh, not doing well. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you've got a special prayer request, somebody that has a physical need that's sick, that's in the hospital, would you just slip your hand up before the Lord right now? Just say, I've got, there's somebody here in my life that I want to remember in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you hear our prayers and that you are Jehovah Rophe, the God that heals. Uh, You bring ultimate healing, Father. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides for us in the greatest needs of our life. You are Jehovah Shammah. You are the God who is there. You are there in our tomorrows. I I failed to mention Miss Kathy uh, Napier, uh, Lord, who will undergo, begin to undergo some chemo and then faces surgery. We so lift her up to you and ask, Father, that you be with her in such a special way. Uh, We pray that you would keep her healthy and bring her back to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the work that she's done here in this church family. And uh, Lord, we want her back. We need her back. And I just pray that from my heart that you would bring her back to us. For these other needs, Lord, we put them before you. And now we ask in this moment that you would prepare our hearts as we begin to look at your word and study nothing but your word, to hear from you from the gospel out of Exodus the gospel of the Old Testament. 
speak to our hearts, speak to those that are watching, Lord, by Zoom, that are watching literally, Father, all around the world right now as we open your word. Do your work that only you can do and that we have prayed for you to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God has always wanted to be with his people. I'm going to share with you. Last week, I talked about God's design. Today is God's desire. God has always desired to be uh, with man. And I could just about fill up the sermon just talking about passage that, uh, passages uh, that say that. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, Matthew states that he appeared in their midst. He's always wanting to be in the midst of his people. John talks about that as well in several places, that he came and he stood in their midst. You can go all the way back to Genesis. And the Bible says that in the cool of the day, now we don't know, is that the afternoon or was that the morning that God would come down and he would walk the garden with Adam and Eve? Now, can you imagine? That, that's a fascinating thought to me. I, I, I've said that before, just how fascinating it is to think that God would come down and would walk with you. A little later on, God uh, speaks to Noah, and he has a family, and he has a place for that family, and it, that place is called an ark, and he's going to deliver that family. Later on, he's going to go to Abraham, or Abram of Ur, and he's going to speak to Abram, and he's going to call him out of Ur, and he says, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he gets him into the land, and God comes. We're told in the Old Testament, I don't know any other way to take it, that the Lord comes uh, to the tent of Abraham, and um, he asks um, the angel that is there, am I going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so he talks to Abraham. He talks to Sarah, who, by the way, laughs at him. And so he said, Sarah, did you laugh? Oh, no, 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 I didn't do that. And, oh, yeah, you did too. He said, the last laugh's going to be on you at, when the birth pains come at 90 years of age. That's going to be a fun time. So, he, you know, God comes and he dwells. He came down uh, to uh, Jacob. Jacob was running from his brother that he had stolen the birthright from, deceived his dad. Uh, his brother's going to kill him. He exhausts himself and he falls down to sleep. He's so exhausted, he puts his head on a stone and it's like a pillow to him. And he has a dream that night of a ladder that stretches from the earth into the heavens, and at the top of it is God himself. And he wakes up and he says, the Lord has been here. I didn't realize it. I'm going to call this place Beth-El. Beth, house, El, God, house of God. He appears to Hagar out in the wilderness who is running away because Sarah has been so harsh to her. And God shows up and she says, I've seen God and I live. God appears. He comes to her midst, into the midst of where she is, and he says, you're with child. And so God sees her, and he's there with her. You just follow this all the way through Scripture. David comes. We don't know how old he was, if he was a young shepherd boy when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, or a man at middle age, or an old man looking and reflecting on life. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You dwell with me. You're here with me. And so it is not unusual that God would appear to a guy called Moses at 80 years of age out of a burning bush. God appears to him. And have you noticed in all of these, if you're thinking about what I've been going through, God initiates every bit of this. He initiated 
going and walking with Adam and Eve. He initiated going to Abraham. He initiated going to Hagar. He initiated going to the dream or giving the dream of being there with Jacob. Uh, when he dreamed that night. He initiates all of this. He initiated the burning bush. He called Moses out of the burning bush, come over, but hey, take your shoes off first because you're entering in on holy ground right here. So all of this God has initiated, and now he initiates with Moses uh, on the mountain, and he comes and he says, in Exodus chapter 25, he says, I want you to tell the people that they are to construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. He brings them to Mount Sinai, causes his presence to come down on Sinai because he wants them to see his presence. He longs to be with his people. Now is the place where you go to Job and Job says, what is man? Uh, that you're knowledgeable of it, that you even take thought of him. David asked the same question. What is man that you're mindful of him, that you're interested in him? What is man that you would think about us? You're a sovereign God. You can see the unseeable. You can hear what is unhearable to man. You live in, in, in a place out of space and time beyond anything that our mind can conceive why do you bother with man? I have no idea other than the fact we are created creatures by God and God loves what he's created. That's you. That's you. And so he comes and he tells Moses, I want you to tell the people to construct me a place where I can dwell with them. And so he's going to dwell in their midst because the great desire of God has been to dwell with his people. Now, our, listen, the purpose of man is to praise God and to love him forever. But God's desire is to dwell with us to be with us. It, 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 it just defies imagination. I've tried to think of ways to explain that, but I can't. So let me just go back now and let me show you what God is doing in this tabernacle, not just the design, but the desire of God. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 36, in the middle of chapter 36, really beginning with the 20th verse. You really need a Bible to get through all of this. Now, I'm going to come and I'm going to talk to you about the structure of the tabernacle. Because God begins to give this structure here. Now, let me begin reading in verse 20 of chapter 36 of Exodus. Then he made the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood. I talked about that last week. How it is an extremely dense, very hard wood. It is, uh, it is basically uh, resistant to disease, to insects. And so it represents a sense of the incorruptible life of Jesus Christ. So now he's telling him how to make boards. There are going to be 20 boards down one side of the tabernacle, 20 boards down the other side, and eight across the back, uh, the, um, the western side. The eastern side is just, I don't even get to talk to you about that, but just a curtain is going to hang down on these posts that are set up uh, and that is the entranceway, the doorway into the tabernacle. But let me talk to you about the side of the building. These pieces of wood were somewhere around 27 to 30 inches wide. Now that was the plank, 18 inches thick, about like that. Now that's a hunk of wood and 15 feet tall. 
That was the height of the tabernacle, 15 feet. Now that was one piece of wood. I doubt one man could pick that piece of wood like that up, but that was the wood. On the bottom of it were two tenons, T-E-N-O-N-S, tenons. Those are blocks of wood that are carved out of a piece of wood, and they, st- and they took that, and they would stick that down in two silver sockets. Those two tenons would go into two silver sockets. So you've got the silver sockets. Remember, we talked about that last week. That piece of wood goes down on it. I didn't know if the video was up yet or not. It goes down into those silver sockets, and then, see the silver sockets down there? And that's the planks that would go into it. And um, this, these, these pieces of wood would be overlaid with gold. So they would take that 27, 28, 29, 30 inch wide piece of wood, 18 inches thick, 15 pieces uh, inches tall, and they would overlay it inside and out. Both, all the sides of it were overlaid with gold. Sat down. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that beautiful? Can you imagine what, that was 45 uh, feet long, 15 feet, that'd be like a bedroom and a den right there. That's about the size of your bedroom, 15 by 15, 15 by 30. And so you had that, it was like this great big jewel box is what it was like. And and so in that, all of it wrapped up in gold. Can you imagine what that would be like to walk into? When Howard Carter dug through the wall, and discovered that he was in the tomb of a Pharaoh called Tutankhamun, the, Bi- uh, the Bible says. Well, not the Bible, but Howard Carter said this, as my eyes grew accustomed to the light, details of the room within emerged slowly from the mist, strange animals, statues, and gold. Gold everywhere, everywhere the glint of gold. As you walked into that place, can you imagine walking in here and everything you see here would be covered with gold? And the light was this oil lamp that was over against the wall, and that oil lamp with these branches, all of the flames just flickering, bouncing from wall to wall off the gold. That's what the priests, now the priests went in there, not the Levites, Only the priests, the sons of Aaron, could go into the holy place, and only one son of Aaron, the high priest, could go only once a year into the Holy of Holies. We'll get to that later when I get to the Ark of the Covenant. Um, So there it is. It's all all overlaid with gold, all of this wood that is here, so that when you walk into it, you are just dazzled by a room of solid gold. Now, how did all of that fit together? Well, I told you they put these boards down into these silver sockets. But now something that tall is going to wobble or lean. There's going to be some kind of play. So how are you going to keep this thing steady? Well, there are two brackets on the top or two bars on the top and two bars beneath. Do you see this bar here, this bar here? this bar and this bar. Do not, do not look at that bar. Do not see that bar. Do not look at it right there. Okay. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, don't, don't look at that right yet. You've got, God comes and he says, put up handles. So along this side here on every side, even the back side, uh, there are these handles out of gold. And then they take 
uh, shittim wood or acacia wood, and they make these long boards or these long poles out of them. And what they do is they overlay that with gold. So these should be gold here. But if that was all gold, you wouldn't be able to see these bars. It would all just blend in together. But that was all gold. The bars and the handles that the bars would, would fit through. Do you understand what I'm saying? It goes through these handles. These bars go through the handles. Now you come to this. I want you to look at this. This is the center bar. It was not on the outside. It was on the inside. That is, they would bore a hole in the middle of this 18-inch piece of plank. Right in the middle, they would bore a hole all the way through so that they would take a, a board, a beam here of acacia wood, overlay it with gold, and run it down through the middle, connecting every single board from the inside to one another. It was unseen. Okay, there you go. Now you say, well, what's the use in all of that? What's the meaning in all of that? It provided stability. It provided unity. It provided a sense of security that everything was, was set. This, this place was tight. It was stable. It did not flex. It did not move. It, it was not easily disturbed at all because of all of this that basically you would not see because everything looked like a solid piece of gold. What is it that stabilizes the church? What is the thing that runs through the church? What is the thing that runs through life that binds us together and holds us together and joins us together and keeps us together and gives us stability and security and a sense of harmony and a sense of unity and a sense of oneness. In fact, just listen, listen to what Paul, I was looking at this passage just moments ago in Ephesians chapter four. Listen to what Paul says about the church. Ephesians chapter four. He comes and he says, uh, he says this in verse uh, four and verse six, five and six. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and listen to this, and through all and in all. What runs through your life? What runs through my life? What runs through this church that brings us together in a sense of unity? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, Jesus says in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. Now the fascinating thing to me is all of that is there to speak of the unity that God desires among his people. Paul says it in every single epistle. 
You get it all through the Word of God. Jesus talks about this unity when he comes and he says, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That love will bring about a sense of unity and harmony and oneness and togetherness. Now, we are all extremely different. We don't look alike. We don't sound alike. Uh, Our voices are uniquely different. Our heartbeats are uniquely different to each one of us. Our thumbprints, our retina um, scans would all show that every one of us, we're all different in every way. We've got different preferences and different likes and different ideas and different thoughts. And yet, what is the one thing we keep coming back here again and again where there is a sense of unity and a sense of one and that we are together in ministry and we're together in worship? It is the Spirit of God. All of us have become the temple of the living Lord. He lives now in us. You don't see it. You can't see it. You know, I can't look at you and see that. Although I can watch your actions, people can see our actions here, and they can see the work of the Holy Spirit. There are things that the Spirit of God does here that cannot be claimed by anybody else. This fellowship is not held together by my personality. I will die at some point. I will leave at some point. And that doesn't mean that everything ends at that point. The church moves on. Why? Because Mac Brunson's personality is not what holds us together. It is the spirit of Almighty God. Never get to the place where you so worship a preacher that if he's gone, your life falls apart. Good for crying out loud. Well, you know, old Truett used to say the workman dies and the work goes on. He died, and there was a young preacher there that heard him say that. His name was W.A. Criswell. (laughs) Need I say more? Anyway, uh, there you go. There's the Holy Spirit that is there. If you walk into this place, I have people tell me this all the time. I sense it as well. I, I say this all the time. When I drive onto this campus, I sense that the Lord is here. I don't know why. But I just do. I sense that God is here. I have a sense that the Lord is here, that there is a freedom for the Holy Spirit to move in this place. I have that sense. Others tell me they have that sense. Well, then listen, if we all sense that there is a unity, that is a working of the Holy Spirit to do that. Then to work against the unity of the church is to work ultimately against the Holy Spirit. Ah, uh uh-huh, amen. So you sense God is here. I sense God is here as well. I don't want to be guilty of doing something against the work of the Holy Spirit. If he's going to work, let him work. If you come and submit to the Holy Spirit to be used, he'll use you in this fellowship. But that's our position is to submit to the unifying power of the Holy Spirit in the church. That was a picture of the tabernacle. That's what he was showing there in the tabernacle. Now, let me give you the second thing. That's what God desires. The second thing that God desires is to cover us. Now, you're going to come to the top of the tabernacle. In verse 8 of chapter 36 of Exodus, Exodus 36, verse 8, all the skillful men among those who were performing the work made the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine twisted linen. 
and blue and purple and scarlet material with cherubim, the work of a skillful, that's a creative, uh, ingenious, uh, imaginative type of uh, embroidery uh, working into this this uh, this fine white linen. Now, last week I shared with you that that linen represented the righteousness of Christ, the purity and the holiness of God. It is the ceiling of this tabernacle. Um, you, you see, let me point something out. You see this and you see this. Th- those, are the, those are called, there is the, the, the linen there. Here's the goat's hair. Here comes the ram's skin. You see how long that is? Now, just know, these are called the wings of the tabernacle. I'm just throwing that in there. Because David's going to tell you that he longs to be covered by God's wings. Uh, These are the wings that are going to come down over this. They become the wings of the tabernacle. But you see into this purple, um, uh, scarlet, and blue piece of material that literally becomes the ceiling of the tabernacle there are these cherubim. Now, if you want to read something about cherubim, go to the 10th chapter of Ezekiel. I'm not going there. I'm just telling you, if you want to see what they are, they are ministers that are called ministers of flame. They are these very unique, created creatures of God. God places the cherubim with, um, with a flaming sword that points in every direction at the gate of Eden so that man could never go back into the garden. Uh, these uh, cherubim are in, in Ezekiel chapter 10 are the ones that are, they appear to be the guardians of the throne of God. And not only are they the guardians of the throne of God, they move. Every time the throne of God moves, they're moving up and with the throne of God. They're under it, they're beside it, they're over it, and so they're moving. These things right here were embroidered on, on the ceiling so that when the priest went into these curtains here, he was in the holy place. Not the Holy of Holies, but the holy place he would go into. And as he would go in there, in the light of that menorah, he would look up and he would see these cherubim that were embroidered masterfully, creatively on the top of the ceiling, which was a picture of the fact that God is always watching me. God is always looking after me. God's eyes are everywhere. God's eyes see everything. God's eyes are watching and caring for me. But it really symbolized, if you stop and think, that's a pretty piece of cloth right there. And if you go, and that's just some guy's understanding of it. But if you walked into this place, into that room, all of it, absolute gold. Everything in there was gold. Over the top, this beautiful piece, masterfully embroidered uh, with pictures of cherubim on it. It speaks of an inner beauty to go in there. No one went in. Levites did not go in there. The Gershonites, the Kohathites, the Merarites, they did not go in there. Only the sons of Aaron went in here. And as they would go in as the priests to do the work in the holy place, they did and carried out their work in absolute beauty. Can you imagine going to your office tomorrow tomorrow, and your boss over the weekend having overlaid everything in your office with gold 
and then covered it all with that beautiful, intricate piece of fine linen, dyed these beautiful colors with these great embroidered uh, cherubim on it. Could you imagine that? What that would be like to carry that out? Do you know what that speaks of? Do you know what that's a symbol of? The inner beauty of Jesus Christ. The inner beauty of Christ. It's what Peter writes about in first, uh, in second Peter chapter one. If you go there, it's a great little book. We went through first Peter. You know, second Peter would be a great book to go through. Second Peter chapter one, he comes and he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, we got to see what was on the inside. He's speaking and referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven when we were with him. He says, we not only saw it, we heard God speak. And what we saw there is indescribable. We can't tell you what the glory of God or the glory of Jesus looks like, but it was as bright as the noonday sun, and God spoke to us as we saw this, and that is what that represents. It's what John speaks about when he says, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you ever thought that grace and truth look like something? They look like the inside of Christ. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It is the inner beauty of God. Now hold to that right there. Because now you come to three different animal skins that come. I'm going to rip through these pretty fast. This is goat's hair. Goat's hair is black. I can't tell you how many tents I've seen all across uh, the wilderness in Israel, made out of this right here, black goat's hair. Do you know they say that when goat's hair gets wet, that it shrinks and draws up so that water is not able to penetrate it? Dry goats. Okay. Um, that was it. And uh, that whole thing there, let me, let me just talk a, a minute about goat. What does it represent? Well, on the high day of atonement on Yom Kippur, they would bring two goats to the high priest. One would be sacrificed. The sin would be um, sacrificed on him. He, he, his blood would be sacrificed. Then they would take that blood and put it on the second goat, and they would lay their hands on it and confess the sin on that goat, and that goat would be led out. The, the priest would lead that goat out. He was the scapegoat. They would take him out from uh, in front of the tabernacle here or the temple later on. And they would walk through the crowd and they would go out and everybody would turn and would watch as that priest walked as far out into the wilderness to where he could no longer see the camp of Israel. And he tied that goat up there because that goat was the one who bore away the sins of the people. So you've got a picture of our sins here being taken away. Now, how are they taken away? This is the ram skin right here. In Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22, it's called the ram of consecration or the ram of ordination. You will ordain priest by sacrificing the ram of consecration or ordination. The red color speaks of the blood 
uh, of a sacrifice, the blood of Christ that will be sacrificed to do what? To cover our sins, to take our sins away, to cover them up uh, from ever being seen. And so here, you remember the ram that was caught in the thicket that Abraham went over, and he came and he substituted that ram for Isaac's life. This ram skin is saying all of these things to us. And then you come to the third one. Uh, uh, the, yes, the third skin. This, now, what is this, y'all? Y'all tell me what it is. Porpoise. Anybody have badger? Badger skin? Some translations translate it badger. It's not a badger. We think of a honey badger. They didn't have honey badgers over in this part of the world. But it's not a badger skin. I don't know why they use it. Somewhere in translation, somebody, I don't know what they were doing. But anyway, it most likely is a seal or a, um, or a uh, porpoise. Most likely it's a porpoise. Or a manatee, like a sea cow, like probably a porpoise. Uh, we have bottlenose porpoise uh, down in the Gulf and over on the Atlantic. And, um, but there are different types of dolphins, porpoises. They were plentiful in the Red Sea. Lots of them. Lots of them in the Nile. Um, a porpoise can go up into fresh water. I used to watch them swim in schools up the St. John's River. And that was... Uh, that was a fresh water. They'd come out of the ocean and swim up. They, they wanted to, let's get in a little different water today. And then they would go back to the ocean. But uh, they would do that. This is a porpoise skin. It's not a pretty color. It was a dull blue gray. Very plain, very dull, not very attractive, uh, not anything that would draw you, nothing. You would think that they would put that beautiful piece of embroidered material out on top where you could see this beautiful embroidery, where you could see these beautiful colors. But there's a reason for this. And I think the reason is found in Isaiah chapter 53, where we read these words. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. We don't want to look at that. We don't want to see that. He was despised and we did not esteem. We did not consider him something to look at. But oh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, the beauty is not the outside. The beauty is the inside of Jesus. And like the song of Solomon and the Shulamite bride, I ask you, have you seen him whom my soul loveth? He is all, she says, he is altogether beautiful to me. The beauty of Jesus Christ, the beauty of who he is, the beauty of our Lord and Savior and his salvation and his love and his care for us, the beauty of everything that is about him. David said, I would rather spend one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And in fact, let me, I want to read you Psalm 27. Let me just read Psalm 27 to you in verse uh, 
Verse uh, 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Let me tell you something. A lot of people look at Jesus in passing by. A lot of people look at Jesus and they're unimpressed. A lot of people look at Jesus and they think nothing much about him. But let me tell you, if you fall in love with Jesus, he becomes the most beautiful thing in life. Let me show you the last thing and the ultimate desire of God is this. And that is to be with us. You read this over and over. I could just go through these passages. I read you the first one at the beginning of the service out of chapter 25. Let me read you these two verses at the end of chapter 29. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt and I might dwell, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You get over to uh, Numbers chapter 35 Verse 34, you shall not defile the land in which you live in the midst of which I dwell. Do you hear what God's saying? I dwell in the land. I'm there. You're not just there. I'm there. I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. I can't tell you how many times you can read that. Over and over and over again, he speaks of dwelling in the midst of his own people, living in the midst of his own people. Now go one last time to one last chapter with me. Go to Numbers chapter 2. Because in Numbers chapter 2, God's going to give you a picture of how all of this fits together. And you see the great desire of God. He's going to outline, our God is a God of order. God is not a God of disorder. God is not a God of just doing something by the seat of your pants. He's not a God who just does something, just, you know, harem scam, just throw it together and just hope everything turns out. Our God is a God of extreme order. We're told that in the New Testament. That's why Paul says everything in a service like this has a place. You put it in its place. Don't disrupt the service. You put things in the place where they're supposed to go because it is through the order that people will hear the gospel. If we were all standing up testifying at one time, nobody could figure out what we would be doing. Anyway, so he comes and he orders. He doesn't leave things up in the air. And let me show you this, because this is just fascinating to me. Chapter 2 of Numbers, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, The sons of Israel shall camp each by his own standard. There are four standards I won't take you to show you those. I won't give you those. Just like those four, just like the, the, the ceiling and then the three skins that go over, all relate to the four gospels. I didn't show you that. You need to be thanking the Lord of all that I'm not talking about. And then I'm rushing through all the stuff that I'm rushing through. Now watch it, what he does. The sons of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's households. They shall camp around the tent of meeting at a distance. They were to be off away at a distance. Only the priestly tribes lived right next to the tabernacle. Uh, the Gershonites, the Kohathites, the Merites, Moses uh, and his family, Aaron and all of his family uh, on the east side. It always painted, pointed east. Now watch this. Verse 3. Now those who camp on the east, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon. Judah, by the way, is the largest tribe. Uh, and they're counting here men that can go to battle. Um, on the south side, verse 10, 
is Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Uh, Verse 18, on the west side, uh, camped Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then on the north side shall be the tribe of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. That is, you would have, you would have next to the, to the tabernacle, out a distance away, you would have on the east side the tribe of Judah, uh, the tribe of Issachar, and then the tribe of Zebulon. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of what this must have looked like, what Balaam saw when he climbed up on a high point and he looked down on the tribes of Israel. How can God dwell in the midst of sinful people? Right here in the middle. How can God do that? How can God dwell right here in the midst of a sinful people? Put that back up, guys. Through sacrifice. Through blood. Through the cross. The only way... God can live in your heart is if you've been to the cross and you've been covered by the blood. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.